We're coming in dry on the first episode, folks, and I'll tell you why. Because we're back. We're, we're going to eventually get back to a regular intro, but we're starting dry. We're starting smooth on the very first day back with the Monday edition of Smith & Jones. And, Jones, we're going to dive right into things right off the bat just to let folks know that in our return to the airwaves in this <clears throat> slot every day from 10 until 12, the first hour of the show, we're going to focus in on the Toronto Raptors and the NBA, and we'll get into all things uh, in the sports world, including the NBA, if we've got spillover from hour one to hour two in the second hour. But we're coming off a loss yesterday, uh, the Toronto Raptors losing at home to the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, the, the strange thing about this team so far, Jonesy, in the early stages of this season is the Raptors are still undefeated on the road, but yet sitting 2-5 and five at home. It's like the script has been flipped on what this Raptor team has traditionally been for the better part of three-quarters of a decade. And, yes, there's still a long season to go. We're not even halfway through November yet. We're only 11 games into the season. But it's bizarre to look down and see this team having – very little success at home. Even though the games have been tight, it was a close loss to the Bulls. It was a close loss to the Cavs. It was eh, not as close yesterday to the Nets. But this is not what we're used to seeing from this team. And I think this kind of is how it's going to go this year with this team a little bit up and down and hovering right around that 500 mark where they currently sit right now at 6-5, and five, 11 games in. Well, to your point about uh, you know playing at home, Eric, uh, you know going into yesterday, three of the past four home games had been decided by one possession, right? They, they, uh, a three point loss to Chicago. They beat Orlando by one. They lose to Cleveland by one. And, and I think some of that is the turnover on the team. There are some new guys and new attitudes that they know the places it can be hostile and it can be helpful to them, but they haven't harnessed it yet. They, they're not fully aware of, how to do that, and they're not—they don't have that experience yet. So that—that'll come. And and right now, that same um, naivety, for lack of a better word, is helping them on the road, where they don't know that you're not supposed to be great on the road. Whereas in the past, when they were good on the road, they understood how to play as an experienced team. So, uh, you know, hopefully that'll at least in the home section, it'll it'll correct itself, and and it'll carry over. The experience will carry over onto the road. But, uh, you know, that being said, I, I, you know, I saw something yesterday that I don't think I've ever seen when it comes to Kevin Durant. He was standing at midcourt and he, they kind of had a soft trap on him. One guy was Fred and the other guy was Scotty Barnes. And it, I mean, a guy like Fred, he on a switch, he just passes over those guys all the time. He, he's seven feet. I don't care what it says in the, uh, you know, what he's listed at. He's he's seven feet. And he tried to make a pass over Scotty Barnes, and Scotty deflected it. I don't think I've ever seen a Kevin Durant pass from that proximity be deflected. I mean, Scotty was, they were belly to belly. I've never seen a Kevin Durant pass like that deflected. He throws it over people, or he leans left or leans right, and with his his length and his reach, he throws it around them. He doesn't get passes deflected when the guy's, you know, a foot or two away mirroring the ball, tracing the ball. And it happened yesterday, and it turned into a, a turnover that, that uh, you know, that, that Fred got his hands on. So, um, look, they're, they're, they're still kind of growing, this team still finding itself, but they can't let too many games slip away at home. They, they, 
you know, the formula is be a really good home team and hang around 500 on the road and you'll be fine. And I think what's made them successful in years past is they've been better than 500 on the road. They've had upwards of 20 odd wins in their 41 road games in all those years and right up to the championship year. Heck, even the year that COVID hit us. Remember the last game that we did uh, on the road uh, pre-COVID was a win in Utah. So mm-hmm. I, I think I think this is something that, you know, will come with experience and hopefully the old heads on the team, Fred, Pascal, OG, will will lead them into that. Well, it's interesting when you look at the standings now and, and, and you know, I don't know if you agree or not. He can't I, look I'm at pre- standings. No, no, hold on a second. Yeah, you can. No, look. This is the point. No, no, no but this is the standings. point I'm getting at. Hold. I'm going to okay. tell you why I'm looking at the standings, and okay. and I'm not going to look at it for more than the next hour or so. And the reason I say that is, you break the schedule down. And actually, maybe I'm guilty of of, of breaking my own rule of what I'm about to say because now I'm going to nitpick on on a one game difference. You break the games and the schedule down. At least I do, and I look at the standings in ten game chunks. And I remember asking Nick Nurse about this a couple of seasons ago, about does he break up the schedule into five-game chunks? You know, let's, let's win three of the next five, so we went three and two. And if you try and win three out of five in every five-game chunk, and he kind of shook his head and said, nope, e, I, I don't do that. I, I don't do that at all. And I do remember his predecessor, Dwayne Casey, did just that. He said he often liked to break the schedule down. But to me, Jonesy, when we're analytically looking at a team, or even if we're just looking at it from a fan's perspective – in an 82-game season, I think it's fair to look at it after 10-game chunks and essentially a month into the season, a little less than a month right now, 10 games in. And I'll repeat what I said off the top just a couple of minutes ago. This team probably is exactly where we thought they would be, hovering around that 500 mark. Most people had this team over the Vegas number, which was 35.5, 36.5, depending on, on which number you got in at. But most people, most probably had them somewhere in that 42 to 45 range well here they sit at six and five a game above 500 they're in that eighth seed right now 11 not 10 but 11 games into the season but here's the one thing that stands out in a pro and a con jonesy of the top seeds in the in the east right now and i know we should be looking at one through 10 not through one one through eight but i'm only looking at the traditional one through eight right now the road record, Philly, the number one seed, four and one. The Heat, three and one. Brooklyn, three and one. Wizards only at five hundred, but the Bulls, three and one. The Cavs even at five and three. The Knicks, four and one, and the Raptors undefeated on the road at four and zero. Oh. But of those top eight seeds, the only one, the only one, Jonesy, that has, um, eh, well, it's standing out to me a little bit as as a bit of a a, a potential weakness is that. The points four points again. It's uh, it's getting a little close, just like the Cavs and Knicks. You're you're hovering close to that line where, you know, it's not going to play out well for you if that number stays around two or three points. You know, eventually it's going to come back to bite you if you're obviously giving up more than you're scoring and you're playing that sort of uh, nip and tuck game night in night out like you just addressed with so many close games right now. That could be something that bites you if uh, if obviously you don't start ticking more in the win column. Well, e when you look at scoring margin, and and again, I'm you know, it's one of those one of those numbers that you know people that dive into. It's kind of like plus minus. Oh, that you know, you can have a winning record and still not have a great scoring margin. Right. But right. Raptors are sixth in the NBA going into yesterday at a scoring margin of about five plus five a game. So. Yeah, it took Look, a big dip though after yesterday because I'm looking yeah, at the, I'm yeah. looking at the current number and and they're actually ahead of the Brooklyn Nets who are the third seed by point one, 
but the Heat are plus eleven and a half. The 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 Sixers are plus eight and a half. Obviously, the uh, the second half meltdown for the Raptors didn't kind of help that number that you're talking about. Yeah, and and look, it's it, it's one of those things. Like people can you can get caught up in the numbers, but it's it's about winning games and it's about close games, you know. And we've talked about this on our broadcast in the body of our broadcast two years ago. Uh, and in the championship season, the Raptors were number one team in one possession games with a minute to go. Ahead or behind by three a minute to go, Toronto had the best winning percentage. 17 wins, something like third most in the NBA. Last year, it was abominable. I mean, they, they, they had a, I mean, the, the, you know, the year was tough. And their, you know, their performance in close, close games was tough. And going into yesterday, it was it was two and two. And think about it: the loss to Cleveland, the loss to Chicago. I, I, like these, what? It's not a it's not a uh, a coincidence that coaches in practice play games. And I can tell you, as a player in in high school and in university, it was my favorite part of practice because the coaches stood back and they said, "Okay, red." Red ball, they're up three. Uh, put a minute 20 on the clock to the student manager. Uh, white, you got two timeouts. Red, you got one timeout. And uh, both teams are in the bonus. Or white, you're in the bonus. And red, you're one foul away from the bonus. And the coach would throw out all these situations and variables and say, okay, play. And he'd stand there and watch. And then we'd break down what happened. And in the NBA, that is what it's all about. It's about close games. Like people got on Jamal Mosley for calling the timeout um, in the Orlando game. Well, he's got a young team that he may not trust as much, so he took the timeout. Little did people, little did he know that you got an experienced team with a coach that is a championship coach at the other end. I'm sure he thought about that, and they figured it out. They, they beat him. They knocked it away. They, they got him beat. People are saying, well, go without the timeout. He was in a lose-lose situation. If he goes without the timeout and they don't score, it's like, well, why didn't you take the timeout? Now he takes a timeout and they don't score. And it's like, well, why didn't you just keep going? So unless they scored a bucket there, he was, he was going to be second-guessed. And back to my point, the Raptors need to learn how to relearn, and we saw this last year, how to win close games again. They've got some guys that know how to do it, but – They've got to get some of the other guys on board. They've got to teach them. They've got to understand how to win close games again. Well, speaking of those young guys, you addressed Scotty Barnes earlier, finished yesterday's game against the Nets, 8.7 rebounds, 4 assists. First time we've seen him in single digits in a while. Had five steals in the ball game as well, and a return to the lineup for Pascal Siakam for the first time this season. Played 25 minutes, 15 points, 4 rebounds in those 25 minutes, 5 of 12 from the floor. Gary Trent had 14, Fred Van Vliet with 21. Uh, but you mentioned Kevin Durant and, and that situation uh, where, where the pass getting deflected by Scotty Barnes. KD still, in spite of that one play, was magnificent yesterday. His first game back in Toronto. Not this season, of course. Uh, overall, I'm talking about first game back in Toronto since Game 5 of the 2019 Finals. So it's, it's, it's basically been two and a half years since KD was, was back in this building um, or, or close to it. 
Uh, 11 of 18 from the floor, 31 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists. He was sublime in the performance yesterday. But afterwards, many Raptor fans perking up when they heard Durant at the podium singing the praises of Toronto's rookie phenom, Scotty Barnes. It's rare. I mean, you got a lot of guys who love to compete and love to win. And, um, but what's more rare about Scotty Barnes is his, his IQ for the game, his length, um, you know, his enthusiasm for the game. Uh, all of that stuff shines bright when you watch him play. And, you know, you can tell he just want to be there for his teammates. He, make, he makes winning basketball plays. Uh, but I think a lot of young guys in the league had that competitive fire, but he has a, something a little extra as far as just seeing the game a little slower, you know, and, and that's rare. For a guy, how old is he? 19, 20? I mean, she's, you know, he knows how to play the right way, and uh, he's only going to get better. It's high praises coming from Kevin Durant, Jonesy, for Scotty Barnes, who's been turning a lot of heads in the early stages of the season. Yeah, he has. And uh, <laughs> again, not that uh, picking Jalen Suggs would have been a bad pick, but, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Raptors, they got to. They got a guy. They, they, you know, and it was one of those. Geez, we kind of looked at him. We liked him, but we didn't have the, the gumption, to, you know, the the temerity to 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 pull the trigger and take him. I wonder what, you know, Detroit or Houston or you know, the, you know the the people that 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 picked in front of 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 Toronto are thinking. Um, that being said, and look, Suggs is a heck of a player, but we've talked about this too. There are a lot of mouths to feed in terms of young players in Orlando, and they're a young team, uh, whereas Scotty's got a little bit, uh, some more experienced guys around him, a coaching staff and a, and a franchise that knows and is, has a proven track record for developmental, uh, you know, the developmental curve of young players. So he's in a good spot and, you know, it's all water under the bridge right now. Let, let's let's see how this thing shakes out in about five years. Next game for the Toronto Raptors is uh, coming up on Wednesday when they uh, head to Boston to face the Celtics. In fact, eight of the next nine on the road for the Raptors with the back-to-back Wednesday, Thursday against Boston and Philadelphia. We will have both of those games on Sportsnet 590. The fan, myself and Jonesy, will have the call for you. Then they're back home Saturday. Uh, against the Detroit Pistons at home before heading out for a six-game road trip uh, that, well, starts on the west but then eventually goes central and eventually comes back east with the final two games against Memphis and Indiana. That brings us into the final week of November. So, again, eight of the next nine on the road for the Raptors. I would imagine, not going out on a limb here, Jonesy, I don't think that when the Raptors come back after that game against the Pacers, they're still going to be undefeated on the road. But, hey, fingers crossed that they find lightning in a bottle and catch some sort of fire and keep their consistency their hot streak going even if it ultimately is not an undefeated streak overall but this Raptor team off to a six and five start overall I mentioned the Celtics as their next game Boston just four and six right now uh, to start the year through their first 10 games and a lot of rumbling swirling about whether they might be in on the Ben Simmons rumors and sweepstakes and whatnot lots to discuss around the NBA as we bring into the conversation a man who's joined us many times in the past we always appreciate his time our friend from ESPN ESPN insider Brian Windhorst Brian thanks for the time as always good morning how you doing Brian uh, Good morning. Brian, 
Well, let me let me ask you about the Celtics. I'm going to start right there. Four and six. We're not going to be you know freaking out after ten games into the season. But but how active do you think the Celts might be uh, and, and Brad Stevens in trying to fix, tweak, or just ride this out and then address things, look at things at the 15 mark, the the, the 20 game mark, and kind of see where the dust settles then. You know, they're an underachieving team. You know, I don't I don't always see them as a championship contender, but when you've got you know, Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum, you know, that's the prototypical, those are the prototypical players for the modern era. And, um, you know, Jalen's been, you know, overachieving and getting better overall. But the fact you put them together, they don't, you know, the whole is less than the sum of the parts, if you will. And that's, a, that's an issue. That's obviously an organizational issue that they're looking at. And, you know, one of the things that's happened so far is, you know, Ime Udoka. Ime Udoka is, um, you know, Brad Stevens is a guy who, you talk to people who know him, he's a little bit, uh, you know, he's not interested in conflict that much. And Ime Udoka is the opposite. If you know Ime at all, he's a guy who, if he feels that there's something that needs to be addressed, he addresses it. And he is not adverse to conflict. And as a result, there's been some conflict with this team early on. He has said some things about his team that are pretty aggressive for a first-year head coach to say publicly. And then you've got some issues with players saying stuff about each other and um, obviously some internal issues. And really, you know, the, the real you know, issue has, seems to be that, um, you know, Jason Tatum and, and, and Brown don't share the ball as much as maybe that they could coming down the stretch of games. And Marcus Smart called them out. And Marcus Smart has not been afraid to do that, you know, in the, um, in the locker room in the past. If you remember back in the bubble in Orlando, they had like this, um, this post-game situation that happened where they wouldn't open the locker room for like an hour or something because they got into something went on. Furniture got moved around in the locker room or something. So this has been an issue with some of their leading guys for, for a couple of years now. And Udoka is the guy who was supposed to come in there and whip him into shape. And that process is happening right now. And what the result will be, I guess let's wait and see where they are around midseason. Brian, I, I think that's the, um, to me, that seems like the Greg Popovich straight shooting influence where Udoka probably, you know, came from and, and where he cut his teeth. I mean, Pop is of the school that, players want to be coached and you know we're going to do things this way because I feel this is the right way not that he's not going to talk to his players but I see kind of the residue of that uh in in what's going on in Boston and I don't know about you but I didn't have a problem with what Marcus Smart says as long as he had said it to Tatum and Brown beforehand like guys we got to do this and if he, it's like a coach. I mean, a lot of people are on Doc Rivers right now for what was said about Ben Simmons at the end of last year. And if he's expressed those thoughts to Ben, if Marcus Smart has, has expressed those thoughts to his teammates and some of the old school values, Brian, you know this, sometimes a coach like a Pat Riley or a Greg Popovich or, you know, a, a old school coach back in the day, after they said it to the player, they challenged them in the media. So I, I you know, there's part of me that says, I'm okay with what Marcus Smart did. Yeah, um, I guess they had a team meeting shortly thereafter, and from what I understand, the team meeting didn't exactly go great. But then they went down to Florida and they and they swept. They had a really big win in Miami the other night. Miami was really flying high at that point, and then backed it up with a win over the Jazz. So that looks like a really good win right now. So we know that Boston can do it. But here's the thing: Brad Stevens, obviously not a former NBA player. 
um, has sort of a uh, you know a very even keeled um, intellectual style attitude. Udoka, a former player who played on highly competitive squads, very much of a different attitude altogether. Sometimes we see this. Sometimes we see when teams change coaches, they go from one end of the spectrum to the other. In this case, the guy who's the outgoing coach picks the incoming coach. And, you know, I wonder if Brad walking away from that job where he was saying, I wasn't able to get this done to the level that it needed to be. I wonder if he was saying, let me find somebody who has some qualities that maybe I don't have. And with the belief that that is going to energize this group because, you know, you're heavily invested in these three guys. I mean, they signed Marcus Smart to a huge contract extension in the offseason. Obviously, they're in long-term deals at the start of long-term deals with Brown and Tatum. They want those three guys to work. But like I said, they don't work at the highest level. Um, and, you know, I covered all three of them in the with the 2019 uh Team USA, which I know is an extremely forgettable group. Most of your listeners probably have no idea what happened with that team. They finished seventh in the International World Cup <laughs> in China. But those three guys and Kendall Walker were on that team. Um, and the entire point of that was to get everybody to play together and use the opportunity as, an, a, as a chemistry building experience. And they've just, even with that team, they never really clicked on the same thing so i think they're you know they're making a gambit to try to make it work out before they have to you know maybe make changes speaking with brian windhorse from espn brian this this shows what kind of pro you are because you you segue me perfectly into my next question without even knowing when you talk about chemistry is this a perfect example of maybe to some extent what you're just talking about the chemistry in philadelphia uh you know addition by subtraction or how do we put our finger on philadelphia being eight and two top spot in the East after 10 games without Ben Simmons and rolling along without an all-star caliber player. Yeah. And they've had uh, uh, Tobias Harris out because of COVID for the last Mm -hmm. week. Um, And Embiid missed some time. You know, he has a banged up knee already. He's missed some time and they had a, a really good win. uh, You know, over the weekend uh, where, where uh, Embiid played so well. Um, so they definitely have benefited from a, from a light schedule so far. Their schedule has not been hard. You kind of see this with some of the premier teams in the league. The Lakers, for example, have had a soft schedule so far, although they're not winning that much. But uh, when you have a team that's going to be on television a lot, they save the bigger games for after football season. So you often will see high-profile teams after the first week of the season have sort of this lull in their schedule between uh, you know during November. And so they've taken advantage of it, but they have played well. Um, you know, and to Paul's point about being old school, you know, this is my 19th year covering the NBA and I'm starting to feel like I'm getting to be old because the more things that happen, the more time I say, boy, I, I, I like what David Stern used to say about stuff and I like what Pat Riley used to say about stuff. And, and one of the things that I learned when you, when I first got into this league was that no matter what was going on with a player. No matter what he was doing on the court or no matter what he was doing in the locker room in the practice court, you didn't devalue him. You did not talk bad about your player. You know, those of us in the media could talk bad about your player. Maybe you'd talk bad about your player to your coaching staff. Maybe you'd even hear, maybe even the media would catch wind that you didn't like a player and say that you didn't like a player. But you did not devalue 
your player publicly. And I'm not so sure I've ever seen a player more devalued by his own team than Ben Simmons. And it goes on to this day. Now, a lot was made about what Doc said at the end of that game uh, when they lost in the playoffs last year. And I agree that it was not, it was definitely a devaluing of the player. But I kind of give Doc a pass on that because it was at the end of a very disappointing uh, playoff loss and and Ben had been very disappointing in that, and it was it was it was a rough assessment. But I, I'll give him a pass. Th- what they've done since then has been unconscionable. The way they've devalued him, and I just don't understand why a guy like Daryl Morey, who's noted as one of the smartest guys in the league, would condone the 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 over and over and over devaluing of this guy. They, I understand what he's doing and he's trying to violate his contract and all this kind of stuff. It's not admirable. We can all see that, but the stuff that they have done to him and now basically questioning whether he's actually got mental health problems, that's essentially what they're saying. They're basically calling him a faker. Um, I just can't believe that they've done, they've, they've, they, they, they behave this way. It's just forget about what it is on an individual personal basis. It's just, bad business well um <laughs> brian you're 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 definitely i won't use the word old uh, you're definitely experienced let's put it that way when it comes to the league because i i agree with you and i think you know a guy like doc that played for people like riley and popovich and and some of those guys they they you know they didn't devalue but behind closed doors uh you got the message and i i just think we're in we're in a new incarnation of, of the NBA right now. Um, and, and I look at the Lakers right now, you, you, you look at where they are and um, you know, they've, they've had a kind of a soft schedule and uh, a lot of people are kind of giving them a pass. Cause I mean, you were in Miami when the heat and the big three started what 10 and nine in their first 19, 20 games with, with uh, Wade Bosch and, and, uh, and uh, LeBron, and it took them some time. Is this the same kind of situation in L.A., or is it different? Because LeBron's not the same guy. Westbrook is a different kind of player in terms of sacrificing. And, and you know, where do you put Anthony Davis in that mix? Well, I've issued a personal uh, edict that I'm not going to judge the Lakers until at least Christmas because I knew that it would be a rough start. Um if you look at what happened with Westbrook in Houston and in, in Washington, the last two stops on his journeyman journey, um, he's, they've got not the terrible starts. I think uh, last year, don't hold me to this exact number, but I, I want to say the Wizards were like one in nine in Westbrook's first 10 games that he played in because he, he missed some time early with a hip injury. But, um, you know, they got off to a terrible start with him. He's a, he's a hard guy to learn how to play with. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, and it's, it's mostly out of respect to LeBron and AD, their greatness. That I'm gonna, I'm gonna yield and 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 wait to pass judgment. But I will say that you know, trading for Russell Westbrook went against what LeBron James teams have done the last 15 years. The last 15 years, really, since he was in his third or fourth year in the league, all of his teams have you know crawled over glass to find 
floor spacers and shooters, guys who could create open lanes for him and, you know, receive passes from him. In fact, the best guards that he played with were guards that didn't necessarily need to always dominate the ball and then also could shoot. All the way back to Mo Williams. I mean, you may not say that Mo Williams was a great guard for LeBron to play with, but I will disagree with you because he was a guy who could play off the ball and he could shoot. And he they won two, they had two 60-win seasons in playing alongside Mo Williams. Then you have the the quintessential guy in Kyrie Irving, arguably the best teammate of his career, who could do that. And even Mario Chalmers. Mario Chalmers is not going to the Hall of Fame, but Mario Chalmers was an ideal guard for, Le- for LeBron to play off of, especially because he could, he could defend. And so now you bring in Russell Westbrook, who is the exact opposite, can't shoot and needs the ball. And so that, to me, didn't make a, a whole lot of sense. But then it is compounded. It's compounded by the fact that they had a Buddy Heald trade on the table that they could have gotten for half the price that they paid for Westbrook. Uh, And so not only would they have been able to get a guy like Buddy Heald, who is the prototypical player that you want alongside LeBron, but um, they would have also been able to retain their assets, a couple more assets, their first-round pick and an extra player or two that either could have kept and played or could have used in a separate trade. Instead, they traded all of their players, basically, and their draft pick for Russell Westbrook, who makes a lot more money than Buddy Heald. So it even limits what they can do financially. You know, let me just give you a, a brief example. They just, Alex Caruso said, bye-bye, have a nice day. And even if you didn't want to, to, to keep Alex Caruso, which I think was a mistake, but you could have, if you were in a different situation, you could have signed and traded Alex Caruso. So you could have gotten back that $10 million trade exception in that trade. And then maybe you had your first round pick and now you're cooking with gas. You've got that trade exception in your pick and maybe you can go make another trade for that. And you still would have had buddy heel. You know what I'm saying? So to me, it's not even just the, um, the fit of Westbrook. It's the alternate reality that you could have had if you didn't do that deal. And that to me is what we're going to end up probably judging this Lakers season on. Hey, Brian, let let me ask you then to to tie in perhaps our last question here, Jonesy. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the Toronto Raptors and and just your your, your take on this team, 6-5 and to start the year. But using that Lakers, uh, you know, chatter as a jumping off point, you know, we go back to last season's trade deadline and the potential that was right there, right to the bitter end, to potentially acquire Kyle Lowry and how much of a better fit he might have been for the Lakers than a Westbrook. And maybe you can kind of hit on both the the Laker impact of Kyle Lowry and just the the Raptors overall 6-5 and without Kyle this season. Yeah, I can't remember what the dynamics of the offer was. I mean, I think Taylor Horton Tucker was the guy that um, that was, was, was the issue. I mean, to me, if you ask me, and I would say this from my experience with the Cavs, um, you, you know, LeBron is a diminishing resource. There is no replacing LeBron. You know, once LeBron walks out the door, retires, there is, there's no more of him. And so I, you know, in that situation, you do everything you possibly can to squeeze every last opportunity out. And so to me, I trade for Kyle Lowry. I, I, I do everything I can to maximize today. And tomorrow, if I'm penalized, so be it. The Cavs are sitting there. They're wheezing. They're just now getting back on their feet. But there's a banner hanging in their rafters because they went they went for it. At least they went for it. And um, and so that's the way I would say, you know, going back on that. Especially, you know, I guess they weren't crazy about using Tucker and they were worried about what they were going to have to pay Kyle Lowry. Well, I'm watching Kyle play in, in Miami. He looks pretty damn good to me. <laughs> he looks pretty damn good to me. And uh, what I will say about the Raptors, I have no idea where they're going to be in 15 days when they get off of this eight and nine on the road. And some of this, this road record seems like a little bit of an abnormality, but you got to love what you see out of Barnes. 
I mean, he looks like he could really be a player. And, uh, you know, OG is he is showing the improvements that I thought we might see last year. And now you're getting Siakam back. So while I don't look at this Raptors team and say, boy, this is going to be a team for their ages, I look at it as a team like I want to watch every night. And I watched the fourth quarter of their loss to Cleveland the other night, and that was a really disappointing performance, I agree. But I'm excited about where the Raptors are going. They're, they're going to have to figure out a way to get another player. And that's going to be on the side. He's being paid a lot of money to do that. But um, I look at their young pieces and say, okay, they, they got something. And, and and tanking last year to get a guy like Barnes was absolutely the right decision. And it looks like it really paid off for him. Hey, Brian, thanks for the time as always. Have a good week, guys. Thanks, Brian. There's Brian Windhorse from ESPN. Gary Trent Sr. is coming up in a couple of moments. Yes, Sr. We're going to talk to the uh, former Toronto Raptor who was in town this weekend uh, to watch his son play a couple of games, unfortunately both in the loss column. But we'll talk to Gary Trent Sr. in a couple of moments. Make sure, folks, you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever. And if you like the show, please make sure you rate and review it back in a moment on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Pleased to be joined on the line right now. We uh, spoke to him, uh, ooh, I don't know, five or six months ago, I don't know, back in the summertime. I honestly don't remember what it was, but it was a very enjoyable conversation with former Toronto Raptor. And, well, he's a Raptor dad now. His son, Gary Trent Jr., having a solid start to the season for the 6-5 and five Raptors, and we're pleased to be joined by Gary Trent Sr. Gary, thanks for the time again. I appreciate it, man. How you guys doing? All good, doing Gary. Well, Gary. Hey, okay. Gary, I, 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 I want to ask you something. Before we get to current-day Raptors and everything else, the, the NBA just celebrating its 75th uh, anniversary officially uh, last week or, or even not even a full week ago on, on uh, you know the official tip-off of the Huskies and Knickerbockers in Toronto at Maple Leaf Gardens and the 75th anniversary season. And on that day, just a few days ago, on November 1st, I posted a picture of Shaq uh, with the Lakers back at Maple Leaf Gardens. And in the background, there's John Wallace – there's uh, there's Gary Trent and and I I just it, it it jogged my memory Gary how much of a memory do you have from not just the 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 Sky Dome days now Rogers Center but those couple of games that you guys had a chance to go into the old barn and play at Maple Leaf Gardens. Oh man, it was it was it was great. You know, it was all an experience, especially being young. It didn't matter the arena. Uh, it was always good to play in those throwback arenas. You know, I was fortunate to play um, in um, the Great Western Forum. You know, I was able to play in the Summit with the Houston Rockets. So I got to play in a lot of stadiums that don't even exist anymore, Reunion Arena when I was with the Mavericks. So it's just beautiful because uh, a lot of these kids today, you know, I got to play in the Rose Garden, which is now the Motor Center. I opened the first game there in Portland. So I've had a great opportunity. Hello. Hello. We I, we've still got you, Gary. I'm not sure if we've got. We got you, Gary. We still got you. You got you got us still, Gary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, playing in a lot of those arenas, Gary's, man. We can get reconnected with Gary in a second, Jonesy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. I was I was hearing I was hearing our uh, our feedback and our headset. So maybe we've got an issue with this phone. We'll get him back on the line in a second. But man, well, he, he's throwing he some of those buildings that he just did. But look. <laughs> 
Yeah, he downloaded the podcast and he was listening to it already. So you know that's that's why we 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 heard ourselves there. No, Eric, like those those, and, and you know what? I was listening to, uh, I was I was talking with somebody the other day, and we were talking about the arenas and the ones that don't exist anymore. Right, Great Western Forum mm-hmm. Reunion Arena in Dallas, uh, the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland, all of these places, and. With the naming rights and sponsorship now, places change and you don't even know. Like, unless you're actively paying attention, these arenas yep. change names. These, arena, these arenas change names and, and nobody knows. I remember the day that the Delta Center in Utah changed to the Vivint Smart Home Arena. We were doing the game and I walked in and I said to the cabbie, take me to the Delta Center. He goes, uh, where's that? I said, the arena. He goes, oh, they changed the name. I didn't even know. So it's great yeah, to hear yeah. Gary talk about all these all these old buildings. All these the old gardens, no doubt. The Rose yeah. Garden is now the yeah. Motor Center. Like in Portland, like when my son was like, yeah, uh, meet me at the Motor Center. I'm like, what's the Motor Center? And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's the Rose Garden. That's what I know it as the Rose Garden. Yeah, well, Gary, I, think I wanna... my favorite place to play was probably the Forum. Gary, I wanted to ask you about that, your favorite place to play. And then, you know, you walk into Toronto and and see the evolution of the arena. Because when you were here, I, I was doing the game sitting courtside. We were in a football stadium. We were, we were at the Dome playing. No, so we were I wanted... doing the, we the Sky Dome. Yeah. And I was just telling my son about that, how we was uh, in the Sky Dome. And being in the Sky Dome, uh, you know, you could – you know, because I used to get a whole bunch of tickets because you could add 5,000 seats to game day just by sliding the uh, bleachers back, you know. You can't do that in other stadiums. Once it's sold out, it's sold out. Oh. But, you know, with these, uh, with these, with, you know, at the, um, at the, you know, booth, the Sky Dome, if they just slid them seats back, you could add 5,000 fans. But it always seemed like the fans uh, were still close to you because of the way they, like, you know, bubbled it, kind of bubbled it up, you know. You know, the interesting thing I remember, too, about those days, and, and I, I came in just about a season or two after Jonesy, Gary, uh, but I, I can remember. And I, listen, I'm not going to sell you out. I can, I can sell out one of your teammates because he's not here to defend himself. I don't know if you were partaking in this, but I remember back in the day, because it, it's funny how the game has changed now with the, 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 the focus on, on health and nutrition and everything else. It was like a staple before every game. I would see Damon Stoudemire sitting in his locker chowing down a McDonald's because Skydome was one of the few joints that actually had a McDonald's at a concession stand. It wasn't just your regular hot dog and popcorn. They actually had a McDonald's stand, and there was Damon chowing down on a couple of burgers about an hour before tip-off. Well, what that is is being young and, uh, you know, really not having your lifestyle in an organization yet. You know, he's eating the food. That's going to suppress his hunger, but it's not going to do anything for him from a nutrition standpoint or anything to help him fuel for the game. But, you know, like you said, when Damon was here, you know, 21, 22-year-old kid who just, oh, I'm hungry, let me eat something. But that's not that's not the proper fuel for, uh, you know, a pro athlete that's, you know, getting ready for a game. That's just something to suppress your hunger. Gary, I want to let's transition to kind of present day and and look at, uh, you know, the way the NBA is now. And we're watching your son, uh, Junior, and I knew he was a good offensive player. You were a good offensive player, but you were also about the other side of the court, too. And Junior has surprised me with some of his defense. Not that 
I didn't think he was that good. You knew he was. I mean, he was came with that rep from Portland that he was he was plucky. He was pesky, but he seems to be more active now. Um, has there has there been some chatter about it? Have you and he talked about it? What what do you think has led to that? Because he's really showing well defensively now. Well, I think uh, first off, you have the opportunity. You know, coming to the arena every day, there's a certain level of responsibility you have. You're a full-time starter. This is your position, and this is your position to hold down. So uh, I think it's just, first off, being out there to have the opportunity and uh, growing up some. And now that you've been in the league this your fourth year, now you understand in people's tendencies, people's moves. You understand players. You know who like what. So, you know, that helps your scouting report, and you've seen more film on people. So, as as your knowledge and experience improves, the defense and the offense that you play can improve because you, you know these guys now. You know he's going to pull up left and things of that nature. Speaking with Gary Trent Sr., Gary, how much of a difficult transition do you think this has been for your son, but let alone for all of the Raptors, this past 19 months going from the bubble to Tampa to finally back home in Toronto and dealing with everything not just on the court, but off the court that they've had to navigate through in the midst of the pandemic and just the, the borders and everything. How, how difficult do you think that's been mentally for all of the guys? Uh, it gets draining and tiresome because you're crossing the border three, four days a week potentially. You know what I'm saying? So it can get tiresome and it can become a nag. But uh, that's just the new world order and what it's, how it's woven into it. So it's just. Life is about adjustments, and the sooner they adjust and stop crabbing about it, the sooner they can move on and, you know, put their energy into something else because it's not something they can avoid, and it's not something that's in their control. So it's really not even to be worried about because when they're outside of the team, everywhere they go, they're going to go through this process. So, you know, it's just this process is just a part of life now. It was kind of like that when I played here. Uh, you know, we always had to go through customs. We didn't have our own private plane. We would just have our own plane with us on it. But uh, we never had uh, our, our own team plane, you know, of that of that nature. Gary, you talk about adjustments. People are talking about how, um, it, how tough it was back in the day. The way the defense was, it was more physical. And we've seen it kind of go the other way. And now this year... They, they, they're not seem to, they, they seem not to be calling all of the stuff that they called before and guys tricking the referees into giving them calls and stuff. You know, your thoughts on the way the officiating is going and kind of taking the game back to a place where the defense could be a little, not crazy, but a little bit more physical and you could actually defend somebody. Because we were at the point up to a few years ago where you, you just, you could not touch a guy. Your defense was all help rotating and hope they missed a shot? Well, you know, you got to have some physicality to, uh, physicality to the game. You can't just have guys running all over the place. And, you know, I remember when I was coaching with the Wolves and I was showing the guy defensive technique, he told him, the ref told me, that chest and the cutter was impeding the offensive player's progress. I'm like, well, if he could just run through the paint and just cut and do what he wants, it's easy to get 30 out here. I mean, you know, I can't stop him. I can't get in his way. So How do you I think, think guys are going to adjust uh, to that, though. Well, listen, you're going to have to adjust to it. It's just like guys adjusted from, you know, when you look at the 80s, you get clotheslined, you know, to the 90s to where, hey, there were certain things that just couldn't happen no more in the game of basketball because it wasn't really basketball. 
So, you know, there's nothing wrong with a good, hard, physical foul as long as it's not to injure anybody, as long as nobody's in the air to where they can't land safely or you're taking their balance from up under them. You know, but a good body foul, hard across the hands foul, you know, being able to chest the cutter, fighting the post a little bit, you got to let those things come back to the game. Are you going to make it too soft, too watered down? At one point in time, if you just drive to the hole and scream, oh, everybody just drive to the hole and scream, you're getting a call. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I yeah. think it was getting too soft. It was getting too weak. So I'm glad to see a little physicality every now and then, somebody getting slapped across the arm and it's not being called. It's a difficult job to be an official, especially when you have a Kobe or a Shaq. Like, you can't go. Shaq got fouled every possession. Now, Gary, I, I understand you, and Eric laughs at me because on our broadcast I said if I was coaching AAU ball now and we were playing pick and roll, I would I would drill that. when I would put it in my drills. Ball handler, when you turn the corner, if there's any kind of contact, do a high, hezzy dribble up to about your waist, throw your head back, scream, see what happens. If it doesn't happen, then keep turning the corner because I'm with you. They just kept. They just kept calling everything. And I, I, I thought I saw some I of that yesterday so, uh, with James Harden. I see, man, I see so many guys about to injure themselves because they drive into the hole and they whiplashing themselves to sell that they got hit. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you put more energy into snapping your neck backwards than the hit was because you want to call so bad. <laughs> and the guys like Harden and them, and, 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 and there's certain guys, you know, who was getting a lot of numbers now that you're not going to get. 12 free throws a game. It's going to be hard to average 36 and things of that nature because, you know, out of your 36 points, you was getting 12 from the free throw line. So now if you're only getting seven from the free throw line, that's a difference in, you know, that 33 points or that 26-point average type of area. All right, so so Gary, let me ask you this then. Yeah, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this on one, one factor. You can't say your son. You're sitting there watching a game. You're going through league pass. Based on everything we've been talking about, who does Gary Trent enjoy watching in today's NBA? Oh, I got the league pass, so I watch all the games, man. I watch all the games, and I really, um, I really like uh, watch a lot of the guys because you know when my son was on the Nike circuit and Adidas summer leagues and all those things in high school, I actually was going to a lot of those tournaments when he was in high school, going to a lot of those camps when he was in high school. So really the guys from his class and the class before him is a lot of the guys I look at. Like Ben Simmons' class was one year before my son, but, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Wendell Carter, Troy Brown, you know, guys that I, I've known personally, Michael Porter, Trey Young, they was all in my son's class. So, you know, I've, I've, I've been around them guys since they was like eighth, ninth grade. You know, Michael Porter played on our Indiana AAU team since elementary. So, you know, I, I like following the guys that I know personally and the kids that I've seen come from my son's era all the way from elementary to where you at now, you know, it's, it's just a diff- different connection just watching. Cause I know him personally, know his parents and ate dinner with him, coached him. You know, Mike was on the team I coached and, you know, so just being around that, just, uh, I, I more or less watch the kids that I, that I know, you know, Jared plays for the Timberwolves now, you know, so it's just, just the connection. Hey, Gary, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again throughout the season or, or, or seeing you around the building in Toronto as well. Thanks again for taking some time with us today. All the best. I appreciate that, man. Thanks for calling me.
Thanks, Gary. There is Gary Trent Sr. And, uh, Jonesy, I think back to the first conversation we had with him as well. I referenced it off the top uh, going back six, seven months ago when he was talking about the the training and the time that he used to put in with, with Gary Jr. as well back in the day. And, and I, I, listen, I follow uh, Gary Sr. on Instagram as well. He's got a couple of young boys that he's he's constantly posting videos and, and training, and, and I'm picking up tips for, for my son and whatnot. And you can just tell the way he talks – that he's not got just the, the the dad and the and the former player in him, but he's definitely got that coach in him as well. Yeah, you can, and you know it's no secret that um, you know some of these some of these kids that have come into the league now that are uh, sons of former NBA players or former high level college players are 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 that good. Because those kids go to the arena every day. They live it. They breathe it. It's around them. They're watching it. They're talking it. Uh, so it's it's only natural. And, uh, you know, to look at to look at Gary Trent Jr. and and how well he's playing, I'm I'm not surprised. So and he's got somebody good to fall back on. He's got a he's got a dad who was a professional. So uh, I'm that that doesn't surprise me in the least. And I, I you know, we you know, we've been talking about this a lot people talking about, Oh, could this guy play in this era? Could this guy play in this era? Great players can adjust to play in any era, but we're seeing a little bit more of the physicality come back now. And some of the guys that were getting the calls like yesterday, I believe there was one time that James Harden was fouled and he didn't get the call, but that's just payback to all those times he was leading with his arms and tricking the refs into, well, it's not a basketball play, but there was contact. So I guess I got to call a foul. It's good to see them now, you know, make a definitive call around that's a basketball play and use words like abrupt. Uh, It's, it's, it's good. I think it's going to be good for the game. Gary Trent jr. This season has started 10 of the 11 games, averaging just over 15 points per game coming in at about three rebounds and just shy of three steals per game as well, which is something that Jonesy was talking about when he asked his dad, Gary Sr., about the evolution of his defensive game as well. Certainly something that will be important as the Raptors get set for their next game on Wednesday against the Boston Celtics. Again, it's the first of two straight, Boston and Philadelphia, and you hear them right here, both of them, on Sportsnet 590. The fan, thanks to Brian Windhorse and to Gary Trent Sr. for joining us. A reminder, again, folks, you can uh, subscribe to the Smith & Jones Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google, etc. Rate and review if you like it.